0: So there was a purple house on a corner just around where I was working for the summer. It was about 13, 14 years ago. And I was asked to lead teams of high school students, middle school students, and their adult chaperones to this block in downtown Jackson, Mississippi. And it was considered the most dangerous and worst block in the whole city of Jackson, Mississippi. This purple house was very distinctive because it was kind of like a light, kind of bright purple. I'm sure I'll use the wrong word if I try to go anything more specific than light purple. And then it had dark purple trim and windows. Very distinctive. This guy ran crime in Jackson, Mississippi. Everybody knew where he lived. He had the purple house on the corner. And there was a church, dilapidated old church, positioned right there, And a pastor had come in wanting to start a church and started a church wanting to do ministry with the kids and with families, but the church was just kind of crumbling. The block next to it that the church owned was just filled with trash and bushes and trees, and so all number of different things could be done on that block. And so I was a recent college graduate, and my job was to lead high school students, middle school students, and adult chaperones to help renovate the church building Clear out the block and make this most dangerous corner in Jackson, Mississippi into something new. This was uh, the kind of block where we would like look out and see a couple of guys doing drug deals as we were, here. We are in our church van. As we would do our things. If we called the cops, the cops would not come because they didn't they didn't serve that area of Jackson, Mississippi. And here I am trying to figure out where do I start? I've got six weeks. I've got seven weeks. I've got 30 people per week to come in. Where do you start? with this big mess. I thought of that story because a lot of the time we look at our lives and the world around us and we go, where do we start? There's like so many different things, so many different needs that need to be met, so many different areas of our our lives, our neighborhoods, our towns, our community. Where where does a church like ours start? Where do people, just normal people like you and I, where do we start as we We see, God, you're on mission in this world. But man, there's so much to be done. There's so many things out there for us to do. Where do we start? We're starting a series right now called Adorn. It's going to be a look at the book of Titus because Titus was a young pastor sent to an island that was out of control. This was, even for the Roman world, this was a bad place. And Paul sends the young pastor there and he says, now, and Titus is like, now what do I do? Where, where do you start on an island like this that's infamous in the Roman world for being out of control? Where do I start? And so Paul writes him a letter. Today we're going to be looking to see, where do we start when the world is crazy around us? Where do we start when there are so many needs that need to be met? When there, where do we start when there's so much reform that needs to happen? So go ahead and turn with me to the book of Titus. I'm going to read Titus, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at His appointed season He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to hear from you clearly through it. Help us to know what it is that you have called us to at this time and in this place. Help us hear your good news and your good call to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find here when we look at The world and we say where do we start what do we do what comes next what we're going to find here in titus verses one chapter one verses one through nine is that god calls us to start with a common gospel with godly leaders and with sound teaching god calls the church in crazy times in crazy places start with a common gospel with godly leaders and with sound teaching what i want to do is i want to walk through these one at a time and look at these three First steps to adorning the good news. What are these three foundational principles for us who are called in this book of Titus to adorn the good news? What we find in verses 1-4 through is first receive the good news. Paul describes himself and Timothy and his description of himself and his ministry, his identity and what he's doing, and his description of Titus' identity and what Titus is called to do centers around this term that Titus Paul loves in this letter is God our Savior. He lays this foundation that Titus, God is our Savior. What I noticed is that Paul is, describes himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says that, it, that his aim is to further the faith of God's elect in their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He begins tracing this line what, like we have this common salvation. He starts with faith, turns to with the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Then he turns to Titus and he says, My true son in our common faith. Your translation might say my legitimate son in our common faith. It's this idea that not, there, there's, no, it's, there's not a second class sonship. The reason he's saying that is because Titus was a Greek and Paul was a Jew. And there was this question that maybe, maybe, The Greeks had to become Jews before they could become a Christian. And Paul is pointing him and saying, no, Titus, who is not circumcised, who does not identify as a Jew, was born a Greek and is still a Greek, is still a true child of the faith. Because, he says, it's in our common faith. It's this normal faith. There is this base layer understanding of what the good news is, and Titus has it, and I have it. Paul is pointing him and saying, God doesn't lie and has made these promises. This common faith is the the determining factor in our ministries, Titus. I, Paul, a Jew, have received this good news, this faith, this hope. Titus, you have received this same thing. Our common faith is the common ground in a crazy world. And Paul points him to this. Because he, we have to understand that it is the good news of Jesus that we adorn. Not the good news of ourselves and of our church. It's not the, the good news of the world as we think that we can make it. It's that this is the good news. And we cannot adorn it if we do not receive it as Paul and Titus have received it. The call in the book of Titus we're going to see is this call to adorning the good news, but it starts with receiving the good news as it really is. The good news of the gospel is something that the world pushes back at. They're like, ah, I don't like that element of it. Oh, you can't tell that element. Even this week, somebody was pushing back at me saying, no, you can't say that part of it because that's not good news. That is not good news for me. But there is this base layer understanding of the good news that we have to have or else it's, we're not adorning good news. The story of the Bible is the story that God made the world and he made it good. We can't cut that part out of it that God is our creator. If God's not our creator, then we're not responsible to him. But if we, he is our creator... We are totally responsible to Him. And Adam and Eve rejected God in that garden and then each one of us after them have turned away from God. And this relational element of the Gospel is critical. The Bible says that God condemned Adam and Eve and the whole human race. The wages of sin is death. Death in this life. Death in spiritual death. Forever. But instead of leaving us that way, God came in as the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus, living the life that we should live, dying the death that we should die, so that all who turn away from sin and trust in Christ alone can be saved. That's what Paul is getting at when he says, God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior. We have to be saved, not improved. And so... Where do we start in a crazy culture? We start with receiving the good news. We start with setting our eyes on the beautiful face of the gospel. And then with God's help, we can go forward. But as long as our eyes are set and set on, I can do this. I can improve myself. I can please God on my own. Then we'll actually just be muddying the waters for a world that needs to hear good news that God is a savior. The second element. The second foundational element in the call to the church and to Christians is to pray for and to expect godly leaders. Like Think about it. Titus is on this island. He's already proven himself as one of Paul's best leaders because if we thought Crete was bad, the church in Corinth was horrible. Doing things the world didn't even think about doing. And Titus was the guy that Paul sent in. Titus was... Paul's special forces pastor, who could go into a bad situation, and so he sends Titus here. And he's like, "What do you need to do, Titus? Do you need to start small group ministry, Paul or Titus? Do you need to start a soup kitchen, Titus? Do you need to start a radio ministry? Do you, do you need to create, uh, start making books for leadership training?" Paul says, "Titus, what you need?" Verses five through eight, his leaders. Verse 5 says, "The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what remained and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open and is not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, rather he must be hospitable," One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Right here, this second foundational element. Paul says, Titus, what you need more than that. What Crete needs, what this island needs, is godly leaders. He says, appoint elders in every city. He uses two words here. He uses elder and he uses bishop. The the New Testament uses three terms for pastors and uses them interchangeably. Elders, bishops, and pastors. Pastors. Some of the ways the denominations divide is how they defined those different words. But as I read through the New Testament, those three words get used interchangeably. And in this passage, elder and bishop gets used interchangeably. It just has to do with your status or the, the uh, elder is more of a, a description of who you are. And bishop is a description of what you're doing. You're overseeing the, the church. And so Paul is telling him, Titus, what you need is you need godly men in the church to oversee and to care and to shepherd it—that's the root of the word pastor. That's not used in this passage, but again, used interchangeably. What you need is you need godly men to lead the church. And we could go. Come on, isn't there a different like foundational element? Like, come on, can't there be something else that we start with? And Paul's like, no. What the church needs in a wild world is godly leadership. And then he begins walking through and saying, the, an elder must be blameless. That's kind of his heading for the passage. An elder must be blameless. Faithful to his wife, a one-woman man is the description there. It's a one-woman man. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. This idea that in his household, he loves his wife and he leads his kids. That's actually his first ministry. Faithful in his household. Then he says, since an overseer, since a bishop, manages God's household. Again, he's got to be blameless. Godly leadership can't just be somebody that's a little bit better, but A wild world needs godly and great leadership. Not somebody who's overbearing and quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. Some of these are a little bit like, okay, yeah, we get that. Not violent. Not a bully. Not somebody pushing other people to get his way. Somebody who's kind and gentle. Not somebody who's pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. This passage is calling for leadership that is godly in attitude and godly in actions. We could sit here and go, okay, this, Joe, this applies more to you. How does this apply to me sitting here? How does this apply to me at six years old sitting here? How does this apply to me at 12 years old? What does this have to do with me? A, a wild culture... A world that seems out of control needs godly leadership, and so all of us are, should be praying for and expecting more of leadership, not less. And so what's the purpose for this? Just like we find with Paul. Paul's not a servant for himself. Paul's not a servant for his own vision. Paul's a servant of God, and the call of leadership is to be godly in attitude and godly in actions because they are stewarding God's household. God's household god's the one that actually gets the gain from this not the leader and so each one of us is called to pray and expect godly leadership not to dumb down the standard of what the church needs because well it'll be faster if we have more people in leadership we have no leaders no we must raise that standard knowing that godly leadership is actually good for the world it's the thing that crete needs it's the thing that wisconsin needs it's the thing that belgium needs What we find when we look at leaders in the Bible, stories of good leaders, stories of bad leaders, stories of leaders that are in between, is this call to these these leaders to be disciples of God, high in character. That's always been God's standard. It's what we see when we look at the life of Moses. It's what we see when we look at David. It's what we see when we look at Jeremiah. I'm reminded in Moses' life that his downfall wasn't that he wasn't successful it's that he began to think that his leadership was about himself. And so his act of disobedience towards God dis- disqualified him from walking into the land of Egypt, or the walking into the land of Israel. It was his character and his relationship with God that disqualified him, not his lack of success leading the people of Israel. And so the application in this passage to each one of us is: where do we start? We start by praying for godly leaders and then expecting godly leaders. Praying for godly leaders and expecting godly leaders. Wanting more because we want to see God's household grow. And then we go, how can, how do we follow the leader? How how does the leader lead? That brings us to the third foundation in this passage on where do we start? Where do we start? We start with prioritizing sound teaching. Verse 9 says, he, the elder, must hold firmly, must cling to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This passage started with kind of this awareness of that. Titus 1, Paul refers to his own ministry saying that it's to further than their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. We live We live in in an age that can divide our knowledge from practice and says, oh, we know enough, we just need to do more. Well, this passage has none of that. This passage says, no, it's actually our knowledge of the truth that leads us further into godliness and to holiness. Then verse 9 says that the, the job of a leader, and so the need of Crete, the need of Belgium, is leaders who cling firmly, clutch on to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Paul knows it's going to be a temptation to let it go, to fudge on the truth a little bit, to say, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. He knows that we're going to be tempted to let go of that and grab something that makes us feel a little bit better, that makes me not feel so bad about myself, that doesn't seem like such a high standard to meet. And Paul's like, no, Titus, you need to cling to the not to the truth, you need to encourage leaders who cling to the truth, because what the church needs and what the culture needs is sound doctrine. Doctrine is a, a just a word for teaching. the The standard of the church found in Scripture. He's saying people that cling to it. What's the purpose of it? It's to encourage others by sound doctrine, and to refute those who oppose it. The sense of this is. Not of an old time preacher yelling at people about what the truth is. It's somebody that comes alongside and says, look, this is the direction to go. Let me encourage you. Let me cheer you on. And I'm not just cheering you on with my own wisdom, with my own thoughts. I'm actually taking God's words and saying, yes, this is a good way. Go in that way. You can do this. I'm rooting for you. And then that refute, the sense of that is somebody that's standing in a bad way saying, do not go this way. Do not go this way. It's not just somebody that's out there yelling, saying, you're wrong. It's actually somebody saying, please stop and turn around. This way leads to death. This way leads to destruction. Do not go this way. When I was a kid, I, uh, I loved reading stories of American Indians and cowboys and Indians, stories of that. And there was a book we had, and I don't, I don't even remember where the book comes from. And there's a story about this boy who's I believe he was 13 or 14. It was a really special role because this tribe of American Indians every year would need to kill lots and lots of buffalo to survive. They would smoke the meat, preserve the meat. They would use the hides for their houses and for their clothes. And rather than what you typically would see is somebody with a spear on a horseback spearing one buffalo at a time, they went like, let's do all of them at one time. And so what they did is they found a high cliff and over the lip of the cliff, there was just a small, tiny little ledge. It, it was, you almost couldn't see it. And they would select a boy, and it was really an honorable role for him because he would practice all year running, doing a jump and tuck and roll off of the cliff back into that ledge and landing on that ledge and hiding up underneath it. And he would spend the whole year. It was a special thing because if you screw up, you're dead. And he so he would run and he would jump off the cliff and he would do that until he was absolutely sure he could do it every time. And then they would dress him up in buffalo robes so that he and then he would begin to to look and act like a buffalo in with a big buffalo herd and then begin running as their leader. And the way buffalo work is they don't really know better, so they just follow their leader And they would begin this stampede, running after this boy, and he would take all that skill he'd developed, run up to the cliff, jump off, tuck, roll, get up underneath there, and then hundreds of buffalo would run to their death off the cliff. And so that was the way that this American Indian tribe would eat for the rest of the winter. That's how they would stay warm for the rest of the winter. This boy trained to lead the buffalo, and he would lead them to their death. And I was thinking of that story because it's so easy in a world like ours where there are people dressed up in, with robes of truth trying to lead us towards a cliff of death. And this passage says, no, what we need is somebody to stand in the way and say, stop, don't go this way, don't go this way. This way leads to death, go that way. That's the way towards truth. And so the call of a, of a leader, the call to the church is to become a place that's not saying, look at how wrong you guys are. That's instead, no, go in this way that leads to life. Do not follow these these deceitful leaders that are taking you to your death. So there are three foundations in this passage. Where do we start in a wild world? We start with receiving the good news, with praying for and expecting godly leaders, with prioritizing sound teaching, or else people will run to their own deaths. But all three of those get attacked in our world, don't they? All three of them. Well, let's cut out some of those elements of good news. Oh, repentance. No, we don't need that. We can have a gospel with no repentance. We can have a gospel with no Jesus. We live in a world that says, no, leadership doesn't matter. Leadership doesn't matter. We, we, can, get a, we can go a different way. We can make a different model. A word that says, no, sound teaching doesn't matter. We, can, we, can, we, just, we just need more practice. We just need more practical stuff all three of those get attacked in our world. And if I'm honest, they also get attacked in my own heart. I think they they get attacked in our own hearts as we begin to justify ourselves before God and say, no, I can save myself if I can just obey enough, if I can just try hard enough. We, We compromise and say, well, I'm not blameless, but I never was going to be, so it's just not that big of a deal. And so we say, no... Godly leadership is not really necessary. God, that's not really what God is after. Sound teaching, oh, I know enough. I just, I just need to practice the things that I've heard. And so where's the good news in a passage like this? The calls for a common gospel and godly leaders and sound teaching. When my own heart condemns me at each one of these points. And I imagine your own hearts condemn you at these same points. Who can save us? Well, I've said I can save myself. And yet, this passage that points to Jesus as God our Savior, when He was tempted by the crowd to say, save yourself, when the thieves next to Him said, save yourself and us, instead, gave Himself for me. We who so easily downplay and pervert leadership And for our own sake, we compromise on blamelessness. We find that the blameless one was killed in our place. So that we don't bear that punishment. Those of us that have preferred other teaching, other truths to come in and make us feel good, instead find that the word of truth died for us. So that in his resurrection, we can know that the good news is for us and that godly leadership is His standard over us, and that sound teaching is what He is speaking to us from His Word. I told you at the beginning about this church in Jackson, Mississippi, and it was a really strange experience to week after week see the transformation of this, and nobody else got to see it transformed. Nobody else got to see this place transformed the way I did, because I was the only one that was still there. And so part of my job was to cast a vision to the people and say, look, this is where we used to be, and this is where we're going. The final week, I could say, you guys have no idea what this place used to look like. You don't know about the leaks in the roof. You don't know about the parts of the building they could not use. You don't know the things that were done on that property over there. But now look at where we're at and where we can go. And I don't know where that church is now been 13 or 14 years. I don't know the things that have happened in the kids' lives that were ministered to there. I don't know what ministry has happened in their church services, in their soup kitchen. I don't know what's happened in that pastor's life. But I do know that it's worth it in each of those places for us to say we're going to follow God's way in this. God says start with receiving the good news and praying for godly leadership and prioritizing teach sound teaching. And then we know that God says it's going to head towards that day where we will see him face to face. And so as we begin to imagine, what does this look like for us to live this out? A church, a family, a person who's received the good news, that is praying for godly leadership and prioritizing sound teaching, is going to look different than the world. And then becomes a place of good news. As we stand in, a, in the way of death and say, no, don't go this way. Go that way. Go in that way of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to hear good news. That you, God, are our savior. And that you have put us in this time. Giving us your methods to adorn the good news. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.